2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Coin. Today, we're coming in with a lot of energy. We just had a fantastic pre show conversation with the three of us back together Brian Fessel and myself, Mike Townsend, here on the mic. Brian, we'll kick it off to you first, man. Uh, actually, let's go to Faisal since it's been a while since I've talked yes, to Faisal.
3: We got to hear from him. More
2: importantly, Faisal yes. has got a bunch of around the world trips coming up. Faisal, what's new with you, man? My man. My man? Good morning, gentlemen.
1: Nothing much. Uh, Glad to be back over here with the three amigos. It's been a while. Been traveling a little, not too much. Uh, I think the travels will start, uh, you know, piling up once the spring sets in, which is just around the corner in this
2: part of the world. But otherwise, all is good. Can't complain. How about you guys? So you're you're probably putting on more airline miles than anyone else I know. (laughs) Uh, What are you doing? Are you doing over 100,000 miles? No.
1: Well... I think uh, last year was pretty close, but not 100K. Uh, this year, I might just break that.
2: But because 100K kilometers.
1: 100,000 miles. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, but let's see. I don't know. Let's see. But I think uh, this year it would be good. Maybe get upgraded to one of those platinum statuses, right?
2: There you yeah. go. <laughs> well, it must be nice flying in first class all the time. Brian. You've been uh, what have you been up to? Snowboarding, no. skiing, building apps, uh, hacking patents. <laughs> what's what's new in the life of Brian?
3: Present something I, I saw on Business Insider, and it is just absolutely amazing. It is called Quora was my savior. Online communities are supercharging people's career, and it is featuring. Our very own uh, Faisal Khan and um, it uh, is a really well-written piece about how Faisal rose above the noise level at CORE and literally built himself into a, I, what I believe is one of the uh, most uh, in-demand uh, uh, knowledge, uh, knowledgeable individuals about international commerce and uh, remittances and payments uh, to be found. And so I encourage all of our listeners to go and reach out to Business Insider. We'll have a link in the notes. And this is Faisal using his empirical praxis and uh, uh, extending his knowledge around the world there. There you go. Hey,
1: but I, I, I have yeah. to
3: say thank you and
1: thank you, Brian, because you actually taught me what empirical praxis is all about.
3: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you. I have to say, uh, we should do an episode at some point, Faisal, on on just your techniques for growing your independent brand. Every time I talk to you about this, you've always got some some gems to drop on, whether it's using IFTTT to scrape Twitter and post to your WordPress and integrate with Evernote. I mean, you've got the system so dialed in. uh, I'd love to at some point expose some
1: of those secrets. He's a master.
3: master.
2: I would
1: love to tell, you know, but I tell you, I think, The one takeaway I want to give to everyone is persistency. You have to be persistent and you have to treat it as a job. You know, you have to give it the seriousness it deserves. Everyone can do it. The thing is we get lost in the noise. You know, we are doing something serious and a funny cat video would come up and, you know, all distraction comes in. But if if you can get past that and you put in the effort, everyone can do it. I'm not an exception. You know yeah. you know
3: what? The thing is, and uh, this is a segue to some stuff I've been doing. The thing is that people get, I call it the paralysis of analysis. What, what people will do is they'll sit back. If they don't have a beard, they'll grow a beard, male or female. And they start stroking their beard wondering, should I do this? Can I do this? What will they say? And they will paralyze themselves analyzing this. What, what I say is you jump in and do it. And Quora is that opportunity for you to not only stick your toes to dive into the pond and to start producing and that you know that leads up to what has really blown my mind i, I released an app recently it's called read multiplex uh it's uh the basis of um, the multiplex magazine and the multiplex memorandum which is a subscriber-based system but the app is free and 90 percent of the content out there uh, is free other than uh the the magazine and the memorandum and, um, you know, I built it because of Quora. I mean, I started putting content out there. I started having people contact me. I've lost literally count of the contracts and relationships and, uh, uh, you know, things that have come from it, book offers. Uh, I, I got to the White House based the White House, Quora. yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, investments, I have... Uh, we're running now to over two and a half billion dollars worth of investments I helped uh, uh, direct because of people contacting me and uh, getting quote unquote deal flow. I didn't know what deal flow was uh, five years ago. Now everybody wants my deal flow about voice first. Anyway, uh, I put I put this app out because people were asking me, you know, your 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 stuff is all around the internet now. It's not just on core. How can we centralize it? And I thought about it and I said you know, I can make a WordPress page, but nah, uh, everybody's on their uh, mobile devices. So I'll build an app. So I built the app pretty much from the ground up. Uh, I used a lot of different extensions, so I didn't write all the code, but it's my ugly code. I take full uh, responsibility over if you love it or hate it. And I use it for a couple of reasons. I wanted to have a central point for push notifications not to become annoying in people's lives but I, I noticed from being on twitter and uh and uh certainly on Quora when i was writing pieces on breaking news that people were just wanting to hear about things when they were happening and uh certainly my clients who were paying me a substantial amount of money uh to be in front of the uh, ball sometimes two or three years ahead they're saying i i need instant notifications. so i said you know the app makes sense so, Apple and uh, and uh, uh, Android, uh, iOS and Android, have this ability for you to, uh, when you build an app with permission. So don't turn if you download this app, don't turn off the notifications because I won't annoy you, I won't track you, and I send out notifications on things that I think are important for that uh, particular moment, and I try to limit it to myself. Uh, I don't think I've ever sent out more than three in a day. Uh, There might, I warn you, there might be five, but they will all be very important and they will lead and link directly to the content. And this is very important. Um, It's a very unique aspect of my app is I can put out a tweet or a Quora uh, posting. And even though it's my app, when you click on the notification, it will bring you right to the tweet or right to the Quora posting that I'm pointing out to. So Link. Yeah, it's a deep linking system. Very few people know it exists I, I, I'm, I'm sort of pioneering that. I've had some really uh, very people I respect in technology saying, how in the heck are you doing that? Uh, what else is going on with the app? The app is – this is what's blowing my mind. Uh, i, I got to thank everybody. Uh, I, we're in the top 25 of, uh, of magazine uh, and newspaper uh, category for uh, Internet and computer, which is the general category of anything technology-based. Top 25 – there's I'll say of Brian, your
2: your your uh your detail on patents just blows my freaking mind. The fact Thank that you can go through those—I mean, you put a lot of it on Quora—and I feel like that's honestly where I originally, years ago, started uh, diving into some of your content was on just what is—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's amazing. I think people don't give it credit just because it's like reading the terms of service uh, on some, some <laughs> company because it's just you know so boring for the layperson. But when you tear it apart and you pull out the gems, it's like the the <laughs> it's a needle in a haystack, and I think those insights are just really interesting. Uh, you know whether you're in it for for a business purpose or just kind of wondering what the future of uh, Apple technology looks like, you know, as, among others. It's really, 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 I encourage you to dive into that, that well, more and more. Well,
3: thanks, Mike. You know, I could tell you about the patents and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll segue on, but... Uh, the thing that I've been doing for decades, I've been reading patents since the 1980s. I used to have to go to the library. I used to go to Princeton University Library, and they would have uh, – it, it would be delayed. It wouldn't be instant. I think it would be every quarter. You would get uh, a, a, not the complete patents, but some of them. And then later on, they got the microfiche, and then I could actually read all the details of the patents. So there I was, a little kid, snot-nosed kid, in front of a microfiche machine reading patents. And, and people would come up and, what are you doing? I go, I'm just learning about technology. See, see the the thing was when, even today, if you really want to understand technology, reading reading about it from people who write about it it's interesting and i love a lot of the writers but these are people that are writing about ex post facto these are these are people writing that things are already going to come that's not good enough for me i want to see what i want to be in the mind of the inventor the creator because those are the people that are making the changes in the world and a lot of people think it's a waste of time because quote unquote this is the famous last words that you will hear from anybody most patents never become products and that's right the, the 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 skill in this is to be able to look at things and to look at the gravity that will wind up pulling these things into products. And if you don't if you don't study them enough, yeah, everything looks kind of off the wall. And it is like, is that ever going to happen? But you know, I've I study about twenty nine companies of their patents. I talk publicly mostly about Apple with uh, my subscribers. I'm going to start talking more deeply about Amazon. And that particular uh, segment, because of Mike motivating me here uh, in prior conversations, I'm probably going to extend another uh, feature, and that will be a breakdown of a patent. uh, I Probably I can't guarantee every week or every day when they are most appropriate. I'll break them down for subscribers in better detail. Not quite the detail a client would get because they're spending hundreds, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars.
2: You mean uh, millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> uh, nah. one thought too is you could you could go in and do like a, a YouTube video, just just dissecting it. I think the intimidating thing. Well, I'll give you you know full acknowledgement and credit on the ability, or just saying that it's 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 there's a gold mine there. It's just so cumbersome to go through all that and to have someone just tear it apart and say sort of say make predictions on interpreting what some of the language means. I, I think that's. Brian, you should keep diving in there. I'm telling you, yeah, I'm going to do mine. the same
3: thing with trademarks too. Uh, so get ready for that. I've never really uh, exposed my publicly my trademark skills, <clears throat> and this is companies that file trademarks and it goes unnoticed by almost everybody. And uh, really, uh, really very smart companies wind up filing trademarks sometimes three or four years before products uh, ever result. And um, so I'm going to start talking about that. Uh, what have you been up to, Mike? Uh, what, what What's this last week been looking like?
2: Uh, well, you know, we made a big announcement on, on Home Hero, kind of came forward and publicly announced that we're transitioning the company into a new direction. Haven't announced the new direction, but it was good to, you know, make that, make that announcement. You're teasing uh, that us. Really
3: well, what's the new well we'll direction?
2: Give me a, can we give us any? Hint? Uh, I'm going to have to pull a Brian here and just say. Hi, uh, I would oh, love to tell you, I, I just wanted <laughs> to
3: hear you say that. Hit that uh, drum. Hit that gonna, drum there. Huh?
2: We're, we're going to keep our mission of staying, uh, you know, with improving health and wellness in the home. I love it. So. Uh, you know, we want to keep our same driving force and momentum, but just you know, go after a model that has the potential to really grow and be be massively successful. And can I ask, so, uh, is,
1: this, is this because of regulations that you're changing your focus? Yeah,
3: yeah. What happened? Yeah. Can, can we yeah, talk yeah, about
2: yeah. that a little? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's all out in the open now.
3: Okay.
2: And we'll link. We'll link to the Medium article we posted. But yeah, effectively regulation had a key role. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to take away the the the. The other factors and the things that went into it, I mean, it's never, you know, everyone wants the the one quick and easy answer, but I don't think it's there. I think W-2 versus the independent contractor model, W-2 makes it very, very hard to, Uh, do a number of things that are required for scaling a technology company or even services company to a really big scale. Um, And I think you kind of see that reflection across the home care industry. You know, it's very fragmented. It's very relationship driven. Um, You know, the only companies to really get to a big scale are franchises, which, you know, they don't actually own the individual companies. So W2 presents a lot of uh, increased taxes, payroll, logistical challenges, um, but there's also been some regulation on minimum wage requirements, overtime requirements that put uh, increased pressure on families to come up with more money, to come up with uh, you know, just greater restrictions on the caregivers in the home. So I think the pendulum has sort of swung in the last four years towards a, a more highly regulated um, climate and, um, you know, for us, we, we really need to go after something where we can view technology as being a key component to scaling a business. Uh, in home care, I think one of the things we underestimated was the impact that technology from other vendors had on uh, the other 25,000 agencies. You know, people like to look at it and say it's, it's home team, honor, and home hero. But the reality is there's 25 other uh, extremely efficient, hardworking, technology-enabled agencies on the ground floor in every little, you know, mom and pop neighborhood uh, across the country. and so to go across and uproot them you really have to have something amazingly powerfully different and, and technology has to be driving that and I think that that, that's that's a myth that that doesn't truly exist And so we, we named the article um, there's no magic in venture-backed home care because it's, I, I really believe that there's there's not and uh, and so we, we need to make you know a decision that was best for our team and for our investors. And uh, that'll be going in a new direction, which there's plenty of opportunities in healthcare and improving health and wellness as a home is a never ending challenge. So we wanted to take the, you know, the remaining cash we have, which is plenty and go after something uh, bigger and more meaningful where, you know, we can make a bigger impact. Let
3: now, me ask now, you Mike, one, I got one question.
2: Go
1: How is it a 180 or is it a, you know, or just a slight variation from what you're doing today?
2: uh it's 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 a big change it's not home care so we won't be hiring caregivers we won't be sending them in the homes um, we'll be you know working on things that improve health and wellness in the home but uh yeah as far as you know hiring w caregivers we we moved away from that
3: um i, I got I, first i gotta commend you Mike. uh you know you've been fearless and bold in the past about not and, and very open and transparent about you know, uh, certainly uh, this and some of your other uh, enterprises, uh, that is something that I think is so rare. The fact that you're able to uh, sort of be up front, why are you changing all these different things, I think it goes and educates the next generation of entrepreneurs who... Sometimes, I mean, I've had people that have had to do pivots and change of direction, and they feel embarrassed. They feel like they've let themselves and everybody down. And it's quite the opposite. I think uh, think what you're doing is the right thing, is that you're moving in a direction of where you need to be rather than trying to bang on the door of something that may not ever open right yeah. so uh,
2: I, I, I sort of think the the easiest decision is just to keep doing what you're doing and you yeah. know we could have gone you know we had 12 million bucks in cash we could have gone you know years and just everything looks great in the outside and you know meanwhile our individual uh, you know economics on a on a micro scale just don't make sense i mean this is the tragedy of homejoy right they realized yeah. you know far too late that hey look you know this this business model just doesn't make sense and we're acquiring you know users that aren't paying and covering the cost per acquisition, and so do you just keep going and just wait, or do you do you make a tough decision? And uh, and I think that the best move is the hardest one.
3: Now I, I got to ask it. I don't know if this is crossing lines. It, it, structurally, how does it feel with investors? Because investors ostensibly came in and invested in, and in, of course, you and your team, but they also invested in a, a business idea and direction. How does that play out? Can you give us some color about what that is like and and, and the challenges involved?
2: Uh, yeah, we have, a really, we have a really supportive board. I mean, they, they share a lot of the same opinions that, that I just mentioned with regard to going after the biggest opportunity and making tough decisions and pivots when necessary. Uh, so I'd say, you know, they're, they're fully supportive. They want to see us go after something that we really can make a real impact on. Um, and, and I think they just fully support the, the acknowledgement that, you know, worst case scenarios, you just know it's the wrong decision, but it puts you in a comfortable life situation. So you just keep doing it, keep wasting cash, keep wasting Wasting people's time and effort, and you know, overall, if the if the next uh, venture turns out to be a massive success, we would have realized that. Hey, look, that wouldn't have happened if we just kept going. So
3: exactly, you know,
2: uh, yeah, that's kind of how we look at it.
3: Is it an interact? Is an interactive conversation with the board? Uh, if we can get a little insight, is it like I have some ideas? What do you guys think? Or do you present an actual end to end one choice? This is the direction you want to go in. How does that? How does that play out for a startup?
2: yeah so uh, it's a good question um, I'm sure it's it's individual you know it's specific to people in a room uh, I always say to yeah. Kyle my co-founder whenever we're looking at big companies and the decision decisions they make you know it's just it's just guys and girls in a room it's you know four to six people uh, executives in a company whether it's PayPal buying you know another company or whether it's you know Google or whether it's us it's just people in a room making decisions and so you know we're sitting in the room we're looking at a board at a board meeting. We're just, you know, looking at all the financials, uh, putting all the pieces together. And, you know, we had lightly brought up the the, the topic originally um, at our last board meeting in 2016. And we, we had made this this change, um, you know, a, a, a Greater than three weeks ago, and we just hadn't announced it until today. And so, you know, when we, we went through that board meeting, we sort of tested the waters to see, you know, one of our board members suggested, "Hey, what if we built technology and powered other home care agencies?" And so that was that was an insight into, okay, look, he's flexible. If we were to change business models, I don't think that would be, um, you know, that wouldn't that wouldn't hit him too hard. Uh, it wouldn't be too abrupt of a change. And so we kind of talked about that, and we said, "Well, we're not really in a good position to build technology for." Other agencies, you know, that requires years of specialized product development and a different infrastructure, and you know, yada yada. So we we basically said, look, let's go back to the drawing board and see what does this look like if we play out potential pilots. Now, the one thing I'll say too is we had a few pilots. We had multi million dollar contracts with health systems where they were going to pay us to offer home care services to their uh, their patients. And when we were about to sign that contract, you know, that was in November, December time frame, we said, look, if we do this, you know, we have to, we're going to be in home care spent, you know, spending greater than what we're spending now, you know, building on these pilots for the next a minimum 18 months, more likely two years, three years, and uh, and and so that was really the forcing function that said, look, if we sign this, sign this, co- sign this contract, this pilot, we're not going to have an escape route. And so that really put the pressure on us to say, where is this going? How do the financials really look? What are the macro changes we've seen over the last couple of years? What are some other interesting opportunities we've seen in healthcare? And we just you know spent a full couple of days and just dove in and said, oh, we think there is much bigger opportunities uh, elsewhere, especially with the pendulum swinging on, on regulatory. Changes.
3: Wow! Wow! So <clears throat> this is this is I think uh, you know I, I, I direct everybody to go read um, uh, the Flowtab piece that Mike wrote, and I think any anybody thinking about doing a startup and having the ability to move bold and swiftly should read uh, Mike's piece on Medium about about this. And I think it's more, yeah, home hero. Uh, I I think it's, it's going to be very important for uh, uh, history that more people do this because we're living through a very, uh, a very interesting time for startups. Obviously it's all going to change in the next five years, but this is a really interesting period. And and I think um, uh, it could do for you for doing that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One thing I say is there's so much opportunity in the world that, you know, you have to be working on your best idea at all times. And if that changes, you know, no shame in it, just change. Uh, so that's kind of how we look at it. We're, we're super optimistic about the next thing, and, you know, we just move on. Um, but yeah, let's dive into the show. I mean, we have such great content, uh, I want to get into it. Uh, so w- one of the first things, Brian, kind of transitioning from your conversation there, uh, is Amazon hitting the 10,000 skills and which kind of represents a a big milestone for Amazon Alexa, the the uh, the the piece we mentioned pre-show was that they don't have any monetization built on top of those skills, and so you know I know you sensed a little bit of hesitation from the developer community by you know releasing so many skills, but then not having a way to monetize that. What's your what's your sort of stance in the Alexa environment today with that? Uh, Thank you,
3: Mike. Yeah, this is a this is really a big milestone. Uh, It's it's really good news. But it's really uh, not, I wouldn't say bad news, it's a, it's a, it's a problem that needs to be started. Uh, solved, and probably solved by the startup community, and not Amazon, uh, Google, or Apple, or anybody else. I call it a Google class opportunity, and I see about 20 of them in the voice-first world. And we'll see what that all means 10 years from now, but trust me, this is a Google class problem. So what do we have? We're at 10,000 units. Now, most of those skills... I don't want to say most of them. Most of those skills are not uh, are not what we would call full apps, all right, and if we want to use that sort of a vernacular and understanding what they're doing. But they are developers that took time and built something. I've done research. This is an ongoing study. I've analyzed about 5,000 skills randomly, and I for this is a study for a client. I, I hope to publish a lot of this. And I hope to talk a lot more about it because I've, I've drawn insights that are just I'm not seen anywhere else. So I'm not just speculating here. I'm actually going to talk from Empirical Paraxis. Uh, where's that drum? All right. So there uh, <laughs> you go. So here's the, th- here's the thing. About 50% of the skills are never going to be used again. And there's a couple of reasons why. Some of those skills are abandonware or zombie skills. Essentially, somebody built them. It, was a, it, was a, it got approved by Amazon. It got put out there, and it just kind of sits like it's out like apps
2: in the App Snap Store though. <laughs> I
3: feel it, well, like the long term App Store is huge. Yeah, the, it's it's closer to the to the uh, to the Android App Store than the iOS App Store because you go to the Android App Store, you go way back, and there's cobwebs and crickets back there. Uh, something was released on you know Ice Cream Sandwich or whatever the hell it was first. Op OS systems, and they still got the app zombieing in the background, but. Anyway, uh, and that's uh, by the, that's also another problem is is uh, is how these stores maintain themselves. So let me identify a couple of the a couple of the real big uh, issues here. Issue number one is what does an app store look like in a voice first world? And in the most recent issue of the Multiplex magazine, my subscription magazine, go and get it now. I'll say it again. Go get it now. Now, uh, and and the next issue is going to be about this very subject, and that is surfacing and discovery. How does one find an app for a voice first scenario? I have some ideas, and I'm going to be exposing and uh, those ideas. Not all of them, but a, a great uh, a, a great coalescing of some of these ideas in the next issue, and but I'll talk about some of them now. What I what I don't want to do is I don't want to go to an app. On my smart device, look at what that uh, voice skill is doing by reading about it and looking at a pretty picture, right? You got to make an icon for a voice first app in the app store, right? And then you got to read about it. And then you got to read about how to, in- the invocation of that skill that's that's not going to scale it never will scale and that is the quagmire or almost a crisis that amazon is facing as we're above 10,000 skills today so that's problem number 1 problem number 2 is there's no monetization system so in 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 the 50% of those apps uh, of the 10,000 apps that are up there right uh most of the reasons why they are, are no longer really uh, they're sort of abandonware and zombieware is a developer had no incentivization to continue on the development of that app to make it live and vibrant, uh, and so without a monetization path, there's not going to be a vibrant developer community. That's another challenge in Quagmire, uh, and again, I will be addressing that an issue too of Multiplex Magazine, and I will uh, say this, that. You cannot use the App Store model that we are used to at Android and iOS. It does not make any sense. Why? Because a really good app, a voice app, a really good voice skill, continues to learn, continues to get more neurons. It should, anyway. And then it needs to interconnect to other neurons or other skills. Uh, Some people might think that's an API connection. Again, I have my own theories on how that's going to play out. Again, this is all speculative because nobody's worked on it yet. And that's why it is a startup do you opportunity. Think they'll have basic, do you think they'll
2: have basic uh, subscriptions where, you know, I, I, I go in every morning, I listen to the NPR news update, Would they just basically say, hey, look, you know, freemium time is over. You know, it's you a know, dollar a month to maintain the subscription. It seems like a very basic uh, yeah, monetization one. strategy. That's
3: one. And I, I would call that not the low-hanging fruit, but the fruit that this hit the ground. So you don't even have to reach to pick it up. It's right there, right? So, yeah, subscriptions is one model. But I would say that if we just stopped at subscriptions – that we would uh, not uh, well put it this way: the company that stops at subscriptions is missing in, in, in an enormous opportunity. The
2: other one is just like the app store, where you're just buying something. No. You know, Apple. No. Apple takes money on subscriptions; and they take there money are, on upfront costs. I,
3: again, I've, I've thought about this since the late 1980s. There are 57 monetization uh, units that you can do in voice first. Subscriptions is one, uh, and there's a upfront costs is a second. Well, w- no, w- no. Now, upfront cost is really a bad model because it really doesn't—it uh, doesn't really play well with the concept of what a voice app is ultimately going to do. Because a voice app needs to continue to know its environment and continue to learn, and that's going to take more skills. It's going to take more programming, and it just doesn't make sense. Uh, you would have to charge perhaps for some skills way too much money upfront to continue to fund that operation. So it, it's not like a game, right? You, all right. There are voice games, blah, blah. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that are really going to solve, you know, the killer apps, right? These things are going to require ongoing <clears throat> ongoing life, and those monetizations uh, don't work. But within subscriptions, and I'm not including this in my uh, 50-odd monetization units, uh, in subscriptions there are about 20 sub... Variations of subscriptions, and there's some interesting things inside of that. But just a black and white subscription service could be untenable because even with a trial uh, capability, because of how a lot of these skills only make sense sometimes of the day, sometimes of the week or month. What,
2: what so, other uh, what other uh, monetization strategies are, are are out there or top of mind? Uh, you think?
3: Well, uh, you're gonna have to read the magazine to get some of that. But uh, now, uh, let's just say this: if if in fact my theory, and uh, is correct, and I know it's correct. Not out of arrogance; it's just the way of gravity. I don't need to check gravity. It, it's going to happen. The theory that one skill is going to talk to another skill. There is power in that synergy, and that's one. And synergy is one plus one doesn't equal two; it equals a higher number. And so that means that you may, in fact, make another skill more valuable by the virtue that you've connected through a neuron connection in unity between these two. And it looks a little bit like an affiliate model, but that's not doing it justice. And it really does take a magazine-grade analysis of some of this stuff to really understand it. Uh, from a programmer standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, they would get it instantly. Uh, they they know that if this talks to that, it would cost a little bit of, of this, and you know, so value. let me ask you,
2: let me ask you this: How, what is the uh, what is the Qualcomm building Alexa into their uh, into their products? What does that say about the sort of the shift in?
3: Unbelievable, Mike. It's unbelievable. Why? Because to listen to a wake word, the battery. Profile For, or first, the,
2: right, give, us, give us the – I don't know if I did it justice there on that news cap. Uh, Qualcomm said, hey, we're going to build in Alexa into our uh, audio Bluetooth devices. What, what is the significance of this?
3: So what it basically means go. is that uh, the uh, – Low energy devices, uh, BLE devices that they're going to be building this into, are the chips, means that any developer building anything that has any audio component, which Qualcomm is pretty much dominating that for wireless headsets and uh, speakers, means that they can integrate an Alexa uh, impression inside that device. How they do that is very simple the system through very low energy consumption if it's battery powered it uses trickle energy to look for the the envelope the voice envelope of the word alexa when it hears that word then it activates the cpu or the major part of the system on chip and then it's using this traditional power structure within inside that device to activate uh, the Alexa uh, capability within that device. And that's pretty much taking the voic- uh, the v- vocal envelope and sending it over the internet and getting a result back. And that's all an API that's very easy to use and is already out there. So, so if you're average essentially-
2: consumer, that means... Uh, Alexa is going to be definitely- everywhere.
3: Alexa is going gotcha. to be in, in washing <laughs> so, machines, yeah. dryers, uh, cars, everywhere, because it will cost... The developer is nothing from a cognitive uh, uh, response, meaning uh, how do I integrate this? It will cost them nothing from a battery profile system, meaning when you're building electronic devices, you want them to last X number of hours with no battery charges. If you needed to put Alexa into uh, an audio headset that was wireless prior to this deep integration of Alexa wake words into the Qualcomm uh, chipsets, you would have had to have sacrificed maybe an hour or two of battery life, maybe a 12-hour battery system. Now you're sacrificing maybe 12 to 16 minutes over a 12-hour period of battery life. I'm giving a, a theoretical mm-hmm. battery life. So the battery profile is near zero, and then – the power of being able to already have that in the chip, all the software being written for you, and you just hand it off to the Alexa API, means that you can now add the value of Alexa inside of your whatever you're building. And again, it's not just wireless headsets. Everybody thinks, well, that's another headphone. No, it means cars. It means uh, doors, front doors. Uh, over the arc of 10 years, you're going to be seeing a lot of people asking the door to open uh, or unlock, uh, probably open and unlock. And uh, garage doors, all kinds of things like that. And uh, again, these are uh, the beginnings of it. So hmm. it's, it's a historic first. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the potential of 500 to one, 500 million to one billion devices just in 2017 that wow. this could be in. So wow, it's, uh, that's still. huge, um,
2: yeah. Yeah. man! I feel like we can go into uh, Alexa, or I shouldn't say her name because she's going to come alive. I know. right downstairs. Um, uh, but Faisal, let, Faisal, world. let me let me let me get you in because I, I really want to get to the conversation we had pre-show around uh, sort of which was, which is just fascinating around PayPal strategy uh, announcing that they are buying the To Networks for two hundred and thirty-three million dollars. What's the what should what, what's the lesson here? What's going on? So, uh, To
1: is basically a company that has agent locations all over America, and unbanked people can go there, uh, or even banked people can go there. There's no restriction. And you can essentially pay your bill. So, they're a bill payment company. They have access and tied into all the bill payers, uh, the super oh. billers. There are about 350 or so super billers in America. So, uh, and there are only like three or four companies that offer bill payment services, um, TO is one, the other one is Fiserv, FIS Global, and maybe one or two. But basically, if you want to do bill payment services for utility companies, gas, phone, cable, etc., you just go to a TO agent, pay, and, you know, your bill's done. So here's the first time where PayPal, you know, if, if you were to look at a river, and on one side of the river is the PayPal ecosystem where everyone is banked, And on the other side of the river is the unbanked. PayPal just bought both sides of the river. And now I think they will eventually do something to bridge the gap, uh, offer these unbanked people the ability to get some sort of a pseudo-banking access. Maybe they will even give them a Venmo account and say, hey, listen, if you load the money on Venmo, we will tie in the API for TO for bill payment into Venmo directly. And you don't even have to visit an agent to pay a bill or stand in line. You can just Mm -hmm. use it over there. So it's the first time where PayPal now has access to about 14 million customers. Not just customers, they have access to their historical data, how they spend, where they are, the demographics, the amount of bills they're paying. And I think that's... Really, liquid gold for them because they can now make more products
2: uh, and you know target them. And it seems it seems to me it's such a no brainer win for consumers, right? I mean, if you if you can't get a bank account for whatever reason, and you're walking in every week to a to you know local merchant or building, and you're standing in line with cash, I mean, just that that whole experience. I'm sure you know anyone who's who's you know no one has time to just you know go and Pay bills in cash, standing in line, and the ability to just say, "Hey, look! You can now download this Femmo account or PayPal account, and you can pay, uh, even though you're unbanked. You can pay all your utility bills or cable or whatever you're paying, uh, and you could do it electronically and automatically. I mean, that's effectively bringing banking-type services to the unbanked, right?" But Mike, it's easier said than done. I mean, uh, there are two. As <laughs> always,
1: there are there are two sides to this uh, coin. One is that when these services were offered and were started, when the unbanked population, it's not that the unbanked population came in the last 10 years, they've always been there. These services were not, the smartphones were not there, right? So it's, these services were offered over feature phones, SMS, etc., and you still had to go in lines and so forth. And many of them still prefer to go to these so-called stores, check cashers, etc., because they offer a better service than banking, then the banks, because banks are asking more money, you know, they're, they're deducting money just for maintaining an account, etc. Uh, the second part is that uh, I think it's inevitable that as the population grows, traffic grows, smartphone penetration grows, APIs, uh, you know, accessibility to billing data, accessibility to banking data, payment data, I think it's inevitable that we'll see a converging point, a convergence point, and that convergence point would mean Taking these unbanked from an analog situation into a digital situation, we also we all we already see some flavors of it. But I think what we'll start seeing more and more is that the individual islands or companies who are offering products individually in their own ecosystems will start talking to each other. So you will have you know, uh, not just an unbanked client who has a debit card, so suddenly he has access to the banking network, he has access to PayPal, Venmo, bill payment, stored value, uh, uh, money transfer services. So I think this is the low-hanging fruit. Um, and it's a low-hanging fruit that is limited by supply in the United States, you know. So I think, yeah, uh, it is. It, it goes without saying this is something people think. Oh, well, you know, there's so many unbanked. No, they're not really
2: that many unbanked. But uh, you know, I don't know, twenty, thirty million uh, people are unbanked. Yeah. but that's it. Well, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say some numbers here are, you know, they PayPal bought To for two hundred thirty three million dollars. Uh, they they process To processes seven billion in bill payments. Last year, they have 14 million customers, and, and the customers are paying, and they have 65,000 retail locations, so companies they're working with, which means uh, I think we did the uh, highly sophisticated uh, math prior, but effectively $16 per acquisition, uh, per customer acquisition, assuming you convert 100%, which yeah. more realistically, but, but, say, it's you know, 70. Here's the thing. You know, if you look
1: at Zoom, which is another PayPal company, the cost of acquisition is closer to 40 or $45, for an international transfer, for a local unbanked person who is, want, who is wanting to pay bills, $16 is a godsend. In the most competitive environments that I know for cross-border, and I can speak uh, with relative confidence about cross-border, the cost of acquisition is between 12, 10 and $12. And that's the most competitive I have ever seen. So 16 hmm. considering, not bad
2: at all. Let me ask you this, Faisal. Where is uh, To making their money? Are they taking a percentage of the transaction from the customer to the retail location? Yes, yes, they do. So they have
1: an agreement with the uh, you know utility companies. The utility companies don't have to open all these uh, you know service centers where people have to go and pay bills. So foot traffic is reduced over there. They have a wider reach. They have an agreement that hey, listen, you know, if we get the money, you know, maybe we'll do some revenue sharing on it, or maybe for every bill we process, you pay us a buck twenty-five or something. So that's how they make the money.
2: Hmm, interesting. But
1: I, I got to yeah. ask. Uh, but, but, if I saw, but one I, thing you have to understand, it's TIO by itself was. Had reached its plateau. They couldn't offer anything else without partnering up or being acquired that, by someone else.
3: That's what I was going to ask. Uh, you know, they, they they sort of reached the zenith of this, yeah, right? Yeah. There's um, how many players are in the market? We were talking about this pre-show. It's really interesting. Uh, shed some insight on how these companies were built. For Fiserv and you know. Uh, Let's so you
1: know the- i mean, i'm i'm not sure how many players there are I mean Walmart is perhaps one of the biggest ones with green dot and you know the green dot card and they 're trying to address the un the unbanked market. There are some very specific players who operate in a very restricted geography. New York is one. I forgot the name of the company but I'll, you know while we are having this conversational search for it and they they just serve the unbanked population in uh, you know Manhattan, basically. Uh, so, but all these are heading towards what I call going from bill payment to pseudo banking, not actually opening a bank account, but offering almost all these services that you need in banking. And what are those services? The basic ones, if you don't go into house loans or rents and so forth, etc., uh, or savings deposits, etc. The basic services are bill payment, a uh, place to park your cash, a place an address where people can send money to which is basically a bank account and routing number and more importantly the ability to do person to person payments which if the light bulb hasn't gone off yet you should know that PayPal already does you know so yeah. it's, it's it's a great mm. acquisition for TO it's a great great buy for PayPal you mm.
3: know and and I think it also is going to cement the PayPal brand much deeper in uh, so many people's lives, not just unbanked or underbanked. I believe that just the ability to pay, uh, do banking functions inside your PayPal account uh, to pay your electric bill, uh, mortgages, and everything like that is going to be extremely powerful. I also think it is laid uh, a, a deep moat. That um, companies like Square and other uh, person-to-person companies are going to have a very difficult time crossing to try to validate, validate themselves beyond. Yeah, I wonder. You know, uh, yeah, I wonder, you know, Brian, that, to your that, point. That,
2: I wonder if like the other companies are in the shopping block now, where uh, TOS. You, you mentioned the t- the two other companies, Faisal. I wonder if they're uh, you know getting phone calls now to be bought up before you know there's none left. Actually, they don't. You know, I- actually, they don't because the other
1: two are pure data play. Uh, they don't own any. Restri- they don't own any uh, agent networks. They don't process payments. They provide billing data to banks to all the exactly. eight thousand banks and so forth. So they don't even compete in this particular case. Teo was a monster by itself.
3: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, so do you see this hurting? Um, uh, like I'm seeing it, uh, a lot of person-to-person payment systems because they really don't look like they're going to grow in scale as the cohort of young users get older and it just makes less use case well
1: the way i see it is i think it's a from a strategy point of view paypal has said or someone in paypal has said hey guys fine what about the unbanked what are we doing about the unbanked and then someone must have said well what unbanked and that's exactly where the conversation got started you know exactly my point. What about And We don't even know that there is an unbanked per, you know, uh, uh, population out there. And they went, they looked at it, and they had to see who could they possibly acquire that has a vast network, that has a distribution setup, that is able to process bills and payments from where they can get historical data about the customers, where they can have a pretty decent swath of customer acquisition, you know, uh, and I think Teal came down on this thing on all, uh, it came down hard because they had checked everything that PayPal wanted. And I think PayPal is doing a big, big service uh, to the unbanked population. And in many ways, just it's it's like one of those final you know, four by hundred relays, and PayPal got past the baton, and it's the last hundred meters. And guess what? I think they will take the lead because, like I said, it's not like the unbanked population is in millions and millions. It's 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 a few ten millions, and and they've got a chunk of it now. And I think if they do wow,
3: a
2: that's good,
3: and if, I if look, they
1: do a good product, uh, so, people will gravitate towards them.
3: Of course.
2: And I loved it when you were describing what what the kind of the details. And I was just looking at the the original founder story. Um, You know, uh, it looks like uh, Hamid uh, Shabazi was he founded it in 1997 after he graduated from school with a civil engineering degree at University of British Columbia and he started it and explaining like kind of the details it's not very complex you know the business model is fairly simple which you know companies like your utility company or a cable company they're just going to put together a list of individual customers, due dates, amount that the person owes, and some other parameters. And they're just going to have a check that says, did he pay or didn't he pay? And when they send the invoice out, if you don't have a bank, you know, you can't pay it. So they allow they basically facilitate the payment for the unbanked by saying, hey, look, these guys can't sign up for these services. So we're just going and we're going to integrate, we're going to create a bank account, or not an account, but a, uh, we're going to create an account with the utility company, T.O. says, and we're going to integrate with the software system or the, the utility company which is through the bill payment network to say hey that customer paid this bill because we got paid uh through their local store so cash goes in to the customer to the to network to network's uh account through the utility company gets bigger and then you know they take a transaction yeah, for that. I mean, and I I feel it, like it's an inspiring story in the sense of how is. they scaled and, such a and simple model.
1: People tend to forget in the payments Ladder. The the lowest rung is person-to-person payments. One up is bill payments, mobile top-ups and bill payments. And then you go into things like mortgage, loan, etc., etc. By the way, the company I was talking about that does uh, unbanks for New York is called Right Checking. And that's right spelled with R-I-T-E, right check cashing. Uh, so those are the guys that, you know, handle the unbanked in, the, in, in, in in Manhattan. And likewise, I think PayPal's got a great, great buy. And it's not a complex product, but it is one that can be molded and uh, interfaced with the existing products that PayPal has and can be a win for those 14 million people.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. And so, uh, kind of transitioning, you can see this pattern emerge where Alibaba's uh, Ant Financial bought MoneyGram for eight hundred and what was it eighty million deal. dollars? Yeah. And so, it's a similar kind of play, right? In one sense, from a macro perspective, they're purchasing well, a you know a local brick and mortar money, yeah, not money transmitter, but money facilitator. Brian money, sender. Well,
1: are are money sender. they are a money transfer, but it's sender. not local. Yeah. It's local to 220 countries, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and 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 you know, we talked about this pre-show, and Faisal really kind of kind of showed the arc of this. Most of these companies have reached sort of a, a plateau, and uh, in, in in a sense, MoneyGram had very few places to go. Uh, as far as the market. And obviously, there are startups like TransferWise and others that are going to start really eating at their prime basis over the arc of the next 10 years. But what we're seeing now is the possibility of this becoming something much more dramatic and much more dynamic. Uh, The ability, um, when you look at what Alibaba is and, and, and what Alipay is about, Uh, It could be about making purchases for products or commercial purchases to uh, manufacturers in China. Uh, It can do away with uh, the letter of credits. It can do away with a whole lot of things that uh, normally arise with um, uh, these types of transactions. But um, I think Faisal had some great insights early uh, pre-show about parts of the world where there is no ability to do transactions Uh, At
1: all, right? I mean, let's look at MoneyGram, right? So, MoneyGram was losing money, uh, pun intended, Uh, and (laughs) also uh, they had their stock price uh, go so low that they had to, you know, bundle it up. So, five shares had to be one share or something like that, just to stay on the on the stock exchange. So, this was a godsend for them. Um, MoneyGram does not do business to business which is very surprising. MoneyGram is purely a P2P player, unlike Western Union that does do business-to-business payments, unlike RIA that does do business-to-business payments and so forth. Um, And I think it's also important to note MoneyGram was not innovating. MoneyGram was in an industry where the average price of transfer, the transfer fees, has been going down and down and down. So... What do you do? How do you innovate a money transfer company into a payments company that has suddenly access to other markets and other usages without building a product? Well, the only thing was either you acquire someone, as was the case with PayPal buying T.O., or get acquired. So this was this was a big surprise. Everyone kept seeing it in hindsight. Oh, yeah, we all knew MoneyGram was going to be acquired. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yes, but we didn't know it was going to be acquired by a Chinese company, right? So suddenly this Chinese companies, uh, Ant Financial, which is a separately spun-off uh, subsidiary of uh, you know Alibaba and AliExpress and so forth, has now access to, you know, with banking and money transfer services and licenses and 350,000 agent locations in almost 200 plus countries. That's a big number. So today, if you look at AliExpress, which is one of the largest portals in the world that, you know, exports everything and you can buy one t-shirt to 100,000 t-shirts, you can actually go to a MoneyGram you know, location pay up for that sale. I think that would be one of the lowest hanging fruits for them. I think going doing B two B transactions for Chinese companies will also be uh, coming into play over here. So I think they've got a they've got a uh, you know someone basically gave them rubber cement and plucked the hole in in, in their boat. <laughs> and and uh, I think this is big. This is a great savior for them. Uh, we had Peter Ozer uh, who came in from MoneyGram. I think it was two years ago or a year and a half ago we oh, had him on two the years, show. Yeah. yeah. So I think I will reach out to him and ask him, you know, how his Mandarin is going and what all the <laughs> hubbub is all about, you
2: know?
3: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
2: Uh, it, and, and I want to transfer to this, this last story here and then we can kind of wrap up. But the Facebook Messenger... Now lets you send money with TransferWise, and initially we read this, and I think my first reaction, at least, was, "Oh wow, Facebook's integrating with TransferWise." But but, Faisal, you you were distinguishing that to say TransferWise integrated with Facebook Messenger. Facebook, all they did was not kill them. You know, they just said, "Hey, you can you can integrate with us," and uh, and and that kind of is a signal to the world that Facebook is sort of building uh, not building but allowing transferwise to build with facebook messenger is this part of uh david marcus's from paypal president ex-president of paypal is this part of his grand plan or what's what's the story here
1: i don't know if it's part of his grand plan but usually usually if i have a payment system i will not let another payment system come in there it's like having one wife in the bed and you know you know how the equation goes, right? So um, the the issue here is Messenger is not a payment platform. It's a messaging platform. And it just happens to have its own payment system as well. Do you shut everyone else out? And if you do, what if the competition offers a messaging platform and allows all the other payment players to operate on it? So I don't think so. Facebook had a choice here. And I think they made a very wise decision, if this is going to be the case, that they will allow other players to come and use their messaging bots to do payments. Um so transferwise was perhaps the first one to go on to it. Truth be told, uh, the first one was actually Azimo. Uh, yeah, uh, Michael Kent from Azimo. He was the first one to do it. He didn't get as much publication and, you know, publicity from this thing. But, uh, you know, I think transfer-wise with all the investors and the PR uh, outreach that they have uh, made it big. And it seems like they had the blessing of Facebook Messenger themselves, which is why everyone was reading into it incorrectly, if I may say so. Uh, And this is my opinion. I could be wrong. Uh, You know, I have no qualms in in being wrong. But it, it seems like... Facebook was saying, hey, listen, by the way, you can use Messenger to do transfer wise payments, you know?
3: I agree to I agree to a greater extent. Uh, I mean uh, the the PR spin was very clear and that was Facebook is uh, is partnering with TransferWise, and it really was TransferWise building out. But the optics below the surface are actually quite uh, quite a bit di- dynamic. I can tell you from some sources that there is probably a lot of encouragement on both sides, uh, on both Facebook and TransferWise, to, to do this uh, sort of thing. And why Facebook didn't do very much to uh, sort of uh, curtail uh, the, the mania that some people had over the concept... Uh, here's a fact. The fact is Facebook is getting... Into payments in a very serious way over the arc of the next couple of years. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And it's going to be very, very deeply integrated. And it's going to impact uh, retail biz, uh, transactions, going to uh, impact online transactions. And they're finally going to get the r- right, uh, right ingredient. And I think this is the beginning of them showing uh, developers that they can come in and work inside this environment. And I also think it's a test case for them to look at who they really want to deeply integrate. In fact, maybe acquire at some point in time. That's it's also also
1: want to add to what you've said Brian that I think it also might be the case where it's to make everyone else jealous you know uh, who may be in the yes. payment space and hence suddenly attract all the developers from the payments world to come and say hey uh, use messenger the, the fact of the matter is WhatsApp has more usage than Facebook messenger I ha- I've been forced to use Facebook messenger only because Someone in Facebook on the desktop or what have you might have messaged me. But uh, key by key, keystroke by keystroke, I'm more on WhatsApp than on Messenger. So I think they're trying to bring some form of, um, you know, have a magnet for attraction, for attracting all the other players to come in.
2: Do you think there's a, a consolidation play in the future for Facebook? I mean, what's their what's their vision to with right? WhatsApp to, to, to integrate people with the Facebook?
1: You can't have two platforms, right? I mean, we, we had a WhatsApp upgrade this weekend, and everyone is now, I don't know, I think the, the Internet will go into play and come up with funny names, but basically WhatsApp just turned into an Instagram <laughs> and a Snapchat.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, the CEO of WhatsApp has uh, made it very clear that WhatsApp is moving head forth into payments, uh, endogenous payments. So you're going to see a lot of uh, activity. And I think ultimately these things are going to merge in, in, in one form or another. But, you know, WhatsApp ultimately, uh, the way Facebook has been allowing uh, the business unit to operate, has been ultimately on its own. And to a greater extent, we've also seen that with Instagram. Yeah, but the interesting thing is how this all plays out against Snap and and Snapchat. When you look at the uh, prospectus and uh, the S one, uh, it barely mentions it barely mentions Square. And in fact, what it does mention is that it's very likely to get money transmitter licenses around the world. So yeah. uh, I mean, they there shown is another. Up on my
1: radar yet, and I'm, and I, I am tracking that. But I'll tell you one thing. I I, I feel that almost everyone line uh snapchat instagram facebook messenger whatsapp and everyone else in between have sort of given up the fact that you know the utopian dream that they were looking at that content and people would pay for content people would pay for a a penny for your picture like or something i don't think so that's going to happen i think they've realized that people don't do that in the real world as it is no one gives a penny just because they like uh, how a window dressing looks like at, at some shop right uh, hmm. So I think, so I think they'll just they'll just stick to what works, which is you know P2P payments or the ability to have your shopping skews within these messaging platforms and being able to buy directly.
2: Well, I, I wonder too, I wonder even even Instagram is deeply integrated now with the Facebook network. And while it doesn't look like it on the outside, under the hood, if you use the Facebook ad platform, you can choose Instagram as an advertising platform. And so it's you know it's seamless. It's it's very integrated. It's very easy to use, very easy to spend money, I should say, from the from Facebook's perspective. I wonder if, and I don't know if this is, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts here, can they look at WhatsApp and say, hey, maybe we can make money just like how we did with Instagram as an advertising platform where we can kind of read through, you know, the text of your conversations and we can offer you advertisements based on those conversations. Is that something they're going to do considering or is that crossing the line? Because Google does that with with, uh, Gmail, right?
1: Maybe I'll give you another thing. Google is a great example uh, and Gmail is certainly a great tangential example, think of what WhatsApp is right now. It's a calling device. It's a calling app. It's a video app. It's a messaging app. And that's about it. Uh, now they've made it nope. a, a, a moments app, right? So you can share your moment and what have you. But does it integrate into Facebook the way Facebook has all what uh, on its feed? Certainly not. But then you compare WhatsApp to, let's say, uh, WeChat. It is nowhere close. It doesn't have no. games. It doesn't have, you know, buy Valentine flowers and send them to someone. It doesn't have shop integration. Doesn't have off offline integration, etc. So I think that's the dream that they want to go to. They're just, I I, I think are probably you know rolling it out, seeing what the consumer uh, up, uh, uptake is on this thing, especially when it comes to WeChat and Alipay, because. I, I think they just might get accused of, you know, copying it out, downright and, and, and saying, oh, this is purely, they're getting desperate now. I don't <laughs> think so they want to do that. Mm. But, but I think, yeah, but, but I think it, it goes without saying it warrants a situation where they need to have more features within the
2: app. They need to have apps within the apps, you know? Apps, well, apps within the apps within the apps. Within of course. Within the apps. All right, we are we're going to end just on the one hour mark, guys. This has been fantastic conversation, I,
3: Mike. I got to throw one thing in here. Go for it. Uh, it was just brought to my attention. Uh, Read Multiplex app is now number two in the tech magazines. It just moved up during the show. I don't know if it's karma. We moved from uh, you know top twenty. We're now number two in tech, uh, or internet and computer, which is tech magazines. Number five in business magazines on a Sunday. It's just blowing my mind. So great. Well, uh, you're gonna have thank to thank share everyone.
2: some revenue with us. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: All right, thank you guys. Good being on the show. See yeah. you next week. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. Bye bye.
0: you